<clears throat> you know, as I prayed about what the Lord would want us to share today, thank you, madam, I, I felt strongly that we needed to consider a place that we're all in right now, but, but also um, something that all of us face, particularly in any apostolic ministry. Um, there, is the, there is the sense of positioning oneself to obey the Lord and to see a victory brought forward and then to know what to do in that drawdown period after that victory has been accomplished. And that is a challenge. It is, it is a very great challenge, particularly for those who are evangelistically motivated because the evangelist seems to have that going ahead, bringing a breakthrough, seeing the dunamis power, welcoming the grace remedy, and then they see what's brought in apostolically, but then there can be a, a lull. And it's, it's difficult to know what to do during that time. Um, in fact, if you study the histories of many people who actually were, in, in our uh, definition, evangelists in this country, that period was always a challenge for them. If you read their histories, see, see, sometimes we in the church would think that those people that do those things are always way up here, and that's just ridiculous to think that, even though we like to think that. There are heroes, but all of them face that drawdown, and knowing how to deal with the drawdown will determine whether you keep moving forward in the Lord or whether you uh, go wheels off on the side of the road. Um, and I, I know that, um, you know, Jesus so often in, in his earthly ministry with the disciples, the Bible would say that there was some great victory, and then he would, he would go off into the mountains or take his disciples away from the crowd. And we would say in, in our preaching, oh, they just were tired, or they just had to get away from the people for a little while, which was true. But there needed to be that point where you recalibrate, where you reflect. It, 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 you know, in the seven spirits, you're the gathering of sons. You're giving praise, thanks to God for what he's done. You're looking forward to the new. But even more so, what do we do as humans in that interim period when we are transitioning from a great point of victory and then the, 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 the engines cool down, we don't have another mountaintop to jump to, and we at some point, as we're going to look at in the life of Elijah, think, wait a second, what did I really accomplish here? Um, it seems like some of the things are just as wacky as they were before we had this great victory. And one of the things that we learn is that the walk in the Lord is not a linear thing. It's just not. It does build line upon line, precept upon precept. But our service is in the journey. Our service is to obey. If we start looking at the waves, if we start looking at the people, if we start numbering the people, that's where we get in trouble. And that's where the enemy wants us to, to focus, for then comes destruction. But our service is to the Lord. We do everything, do all unto him and to his glory. And if we have an assignment, if we have a job to do, if, he, if we're working and laboring to accomplish some focalized task, it should be all to the glory of God. Well, I just want to give God all the glory. Well, that's not what that necessarily means. We say that, and what we really mean is, well, it wasn't me, I'm just praising the Lord. But when we're, when we're walking in the glory, God doesn't need our counsel. And when, when he's passed by and we can view, that's not a time to nitpick and say to the Lord, well, you know, I really thought you were going to do more than that. You know, well, hey, look, I'm still in the cleft of this rock. I thought when this thing was over, you know, we'd, we'd be riding high. 
but it's it's God is all about the journey. He's never about the end. He's never about the destination because the, there will never be a destination. He is always moving us forward. We go from glory to glory. We get to one point of glory, and then we're recalibrating in him to move to the next point of glory. It's a wonderful thing. And and the half has never yet been told, as the old song said and the scripture says. So, but, but learning that and understanding that is something that's often a challenge. Um, you know, several, several times when, we've, when I've been traveling in Europe, uh, I would encounter churches that, that sprung up. And uh, maybe an evangelist, somebody with a real magnetic, charismatic, uh, really explosive mentality uh, is the pastor. And they build this big church up. And the problem is that once that pastor with that gifting has achieved that point of building they don't know what to do with themselves because in their in their in their framing they're thinking for the next mountain so they they leap out of that god told me and then they move to some other thing and there are all these people with a big building and a big payment and who's going to come in here and pastor now well, you need somebody to come in that will actually pastor, who will be there, and who will know how to say, you know, you got high points, you got low points, you need to move in them. But we see this all over the place in Western Europe, and we see it here in the United States as well. And that's just something that the church, with the Western mentality, has never really grasped. You know, we're told, let's believe, let's move forward, let's have this. And then God says, okay, you've got this. Now I want you to wait. What? No, wait. Not what? Wait. And that's a problem. That, and, and we're going to see this in, there are many scriptures I could show you. They may not be underlined in your Bible. But, but I think that uh, in, in 1 Kings 19, we're going to touch on this. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, 1 Kings 19 uh, you just think about what we as a, as a saints network, and particularly we as a church body here, have experienced since the beginning of the year. How many high points have we known? Have you been keeping track? Have you been keeping score? I mean, God has just led us from one major victory to another major victory, and we just recalibrate and move into another one. And now... He's got us kind of listening and managing and gaining an intercession view for what's coming. And that feeling is very different than kicking it and taking names. I do, do, do not understand this. Than, than going into a thing, seeing tremendous things happen, seeing foundation and marveling at how God is doing this and this, and then you come back home. What do you do in that period? That's a challenge. And most people in the Christian walk don't know what to do with it. They bind it, they rebuke it, they cast it out. But it is a factor spiritually that we need to understand and glean because that, to me, is the most precious moment in God. Maybe it's like the seasons, you know, where we talk about the hand of the Lord and, and we talk about the winter and that being really the beginning, that period where it seems like, okay, the harvest has already come and gone, and look, now what are we doing? The cold winds are blowing. That's the most precious time because if that's not managed properly, there will be no harvest. And so the enemy likes to try to confuse us. And, you know, we, we, we've got to be wise, especially those of you, and I'm speaking to the Saints Network, who are called to reach the world. And that's not some fanciful talk. We're already in I don't know how many countries. Uh, you, I, you, you don't realize, I think, every day, especially with the advent of, uh, of the Internet, I was thinking last week that, and, and this is not me. This is me representing you in the, in the Father's work. I think in this last week, I, I was in contact with nine countries, different individuals there that are functioning on behalf of the, the, the message of the Lord and, and as saints. 
And they're all reaching to this place and to the Saints Network for direction, for counsel, for, for insight, for clarity. And, and that's a task. That's you. And, and so, but it, but it feels weird. I, I can tell you, as wearying as it is to be out on the field doing things, I mean, that's a different environment. I mean, you get up and you're, you're speaking, you're laying hands on people, you're preaching, you're directing things, you're imparting things, you're seeing great miracles and victories happen. And there's a feeling that's, that's exuberant because the Spirit is moving through you in that moment like a rushing river. But when you're by the still waters, it's a different feeling. And sometimes people don't like those still waters after they've been in the, the rapids of God's waterfall, you know, and they go down there and they're trying to stir the water and make all the kinds of other things. And God said, just, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And in, in that, my soul is being restored. See, I don't think we realize and, and Elijah was dealing with this, how that, you know, we're, we're functioning on behalf of God's spirit within, and our mind has to submit, hopefully, and, and we're, we're obeying the spirit. But the, but the natural mind is always going to have to, even if it's in lockstep and in harmony, the natural mind, it's, it's a challenge for the natural mind to keep up with the things of the spirit. And when we come out of various points, you say, well, I haven't traveled. Yeah, but you're part of this thing. I mean, you're, you're, you, you, you go into the military. You read these people in World War II. Take your World War II. Yeah, you, you see these people in World War II, and, and you know, you'll hear the, the sometimes I, I remember hearing David Smith talk to Levester's dad. Levester's dad was a staff sergeant in the, in the Army. And David was from the Air Force. And what, what would the Army say to the Air Force? Well, we're down here fighting. You boys are flying over. And, you know, they, they, they all, but they all play a part. We won't even get into the Navy. You can talk to, Na Dave, uh, to Dennis about that. <laughs> but everybody, everybody plays a part. And you play a part. And our soul needs to be restored during those times in the green pastures and the still waters, which is the depth of God where he's preparing us for moving forward. Because you, if, if you're not there, you won't make it when you get into the valley of the shadow of death. You just won't. If you don't learn how to submit the restoring of the soul in the depths of those still waters and in those green pastures where his anointing oil is being poured over you, uh, over your head. Um, we need that. It's not as exciting as being in the valley, swinging swords and hurling stones at the enemy and taking down giants. David would have never made it in the middle of that valley with Goliath had he not understood that principle of just being alone with the Lord, strumming on his harp and doing whatever he did with the sack butt and singing, um, he would have never made it in that valley had he not known that place. And so we've, we've had a lot of mountaintop battles and valley battles successfully by the directive of the Lord so far this year, as well as a lot of other major points of miraculous uh, visitations. And um, I, I, God's just blessed us abundantly. But now, I think in a lot of ways, some may be feeling a drawdown. And then the enemy comes in and says, something's wrong with you. You know, you're just, you're just screwed it up some way. Because he does not want you drinking at the fountain of the Lord. He doesn't want you to let that soul be restored. He doesn't want you to have your head anointed with oil. He doesn't want you to be there just spending time in that necessary moment 
And that's really a, a, big, a, a big measure of challenge. Be, only because we don't understand that. Uh, and, you know, I, I, think, I think it's very interesting that um, there are a lot of factors to this. Um, we've, we've often said when it comes to Elijah and Elisha and Moses and Joshua and even Saul and, and David, We've talked about the coming of that next lieutenant group, and those two work together. I think, I think in that moment, which we're very much in that moment, um, this, this time of being before the Lord and having your, your soul restored is vital, particularly for the Elijahs, the Moseses, and even the Sauls. Um, because if we don't allow that to happen, we won't be able to process the demands of this new thing of a younger group coming along. It's a strange feeling. We're going to get to the scripture here in a minute. Um, and there's a lot of stuff to say here in 1 Kings 19. But we've talked about the coming of these Elishas. Do you, do you realize that a lot of these pastors and their churches that are coming alongside are Elishas? You know, this one pastor that had the privilege of talking with this past week, he's the young guy who's, uh, who's got this group of a couple hundred 20-somethings that are all ignited in the spirit. And, I mean, it was, I, I, I was there, and I saw it happen, and I was amazed um, that all these young people that are just turned on for the Lord and just excited— um, and, you know, their pastor and me both hit the ground together in 15 minutes or so. I'm not exaggerating of weeping. And then since that time, that pastor has said, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything out of turn, um, we want to come under your covering. We want to be discipled. We want to learn about the things of the Spirit. We need this. So right there, you've got 250 Elishas, plus the pastor, and then however God's going to explode out of that. We need to be refreshed by the Lord, and I know I need that work of restoring. You need it for our intercession. We must have this. It, it's miraculous, but God is faithful. God has promised this. God has said this. But I'm telling you, um, you know, I wonder if Eve wasn't in that place. It doesn't say that in Genesis, but she was kind of there by herself, not justifying anything, but the enemy comes in with a lot of half God says, and there's questions, and, you know, I, I just think this is an ongoing principle for any point of transition and we're in that moment right now. So here we go, 1 Kings 19. We've looked at this many times. There have been wonderful things that have been said, and I'm not here to disprove anything. I'm just looking at this from a, from a, from a tangential aspect that I believe is pertinent to where we are right now. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which is the far extent, remember Dan to Beersheba in the scripture, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Now let's talk about that. We act like this is the only threat that ever came against Elijah, and that's just ridiculous. Just skip, skip a couple pages back, not right now, when Elijah shows up in front of this guy named Obadiah. And Obadiah had a unique place in Ahab's um, uh, administration. Um, he was a trusted servant, but Obadiah had something going on on the side where Obadiah believed in God and was uh, by himself providing sustenance for at least a hundred sons of the prophets, clandestinely, quietly. 
And Elijah shows up in front of this guy and says, I've got a message for your boss. You tell Ahab to come and meet me here. And what did Obadiah say? Sometimes we just skip over this. We want to go to, well, the Spirit will pick you up and carry you here and carry you there. But what what did he really say? You know, Ahab has had trained assassins looking for you for a long time. And what happens is you always evade them. And part of what happens is the Spirit at times will pick you up and convey you. It's a rather, it's a rather akin to Philip going to Azotus. I mean, the Spirit just takes you somewhere. So, and, and so I don't want to go tell Ahab this because if I bring him here and you're not here, he's going to kill me. So the idea that Jezebel's word all of a sudden was the first threat that came against Elijah, listen, uh, Elijah, listen, he lived that. This was just another threat. So when it says he went for his life, I think he was continually doing that. God would say, okay, you get up, you go. And what does it say about Elisha? Remember what happened? You know, he was hearing what the foreign uh, general was saying in the bread bedchamber, and then he would tell the, the king, you better move your forces over here. You better move over here. This was just something that was going on. God protected them in that way, and we're going to need that in the days to come. We really are. So to hear this and go for his life, yeah, that was a threat. Um, I, I wonder, though, this man himself had just killed 850 demonized people, and they had all seen it. He was probably still scrubbing the blood from his hands, and he probably had to use Bon Ami to get it off. But, you know, <laughs> I don't understand that. Goes to Mr. Chicken, scene 5, verse 3. Um, you know, the, 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 so, you know, this man was not, he was not squeamish. He had seen God protect him over and over again, and he just took out not only the hierarchy of the demonic group, he took them all out. I mean, they were just wiped out. So to think that all of a sudden Elijah was spooked by this, to me, from what I see of his history, this, this was just run-of-the-mill for him. He gets this word. How Jezebel's servant found him is another matter because he seemed to be pretty elusive. But the point comes when he saw that. We've preached on that. That's very important. But what else did he see? What did he really see? What did he see? Verse 3, when he saw that. Now, here's where I maybe subjectively are viewing this. He had just seen an amazing breakthrough. On the top of Mount Carmel, the fire of the Lord fall, rebuilding the, um, rebuilding the altar of the Lord. And in fact, Carmel was then going to become Elisha's main point of abiding. This, that, what, that school is going to rise up. Elijah's going to be based there. This was a great victory. The breaking of the drought, the rain that came, that was an amazing victory, undeniable. The fire falling from heaven, another amazing miracle. Uh, outrunning a chariot in the rain. I, I've never tried that, but I assume that's a pretty big thing. So he was batting a thousand here. So what did he see? Now, if I put myself in his sandals, I would think that he would see wait a second, we just had these big victories. And that wicked woman is still barking out orders. What good did it do for us to have this if she's still in play? Have you ever had that happen in your life where you see God do a great miracle and you're just exuberant about it, and then when the goosebumps go down a little bit, you think, Lord, that was great, but why am I still messing with this? Why is this still here? Did I do something wrong? Did I not do enough? Did I not bind enough or loose enough or declare or decree enough? 
Why am I still dealing with this? Now, the issue here is that prophets don't really kill kings. They're not supposed to. God, we both know from the story that's coming that a guy named Jehu and some other folks, God had ordained to do this work. Um, so it wasn't like Elisha should have done a, uh, a uh, what's a good illustration? <laughs> uh, that he shouldn't have uh, taken that group of people that had just seen the miracle of the Lord and stormed the castle of Versailles and taken the king. This wasn't Bastille Day. I mean, it wasn't his job to go and do that. That was coming, but yet the, the, uh, the idea is that why am I still dealing with this? Some of you have faced that. You've encountered great miracles in the Lord, and then while well, the echoes of that, thank you, Lord, were still resounding through your house, you recognize, hey, I'm still dealing with this problem. I still have to battle this. Why? It's, it's sobering, isn't it? It's more than sobering. It's wearying. And then you realize that you're serving God. Your job was to do what he said to do. The miracle that came served his kingdom. And you, you just need to rejoice in that and trust God to do these other things. He didn't say, Elijah, when you go up to the top of this mountain, all your problems are going to roll away. He never said that. But did Elijah think that? Let's keep reading. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He left his servant there in Beersheba. And he sat down under a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, you're going to hear that same chorus repeated two more times, only at the top of the hill. What was he saying? What was he saying? You see, this goes back to what our expectations are as humans. They may not transcend into reality in God's equation. God's going to do what he said to do. How many times have we said that? You know, God prophesied this, and boy, when the answer came, it sure was, it, he was true. It was absolutely true, but it sure was different from what I thought. Boy, I've said that a hundred times, and I, I could say it a thousand times. Us reaching the world, us reaching the world, boy, man, we had people with uh, visions of ambulances, and that's still going to happen, pulling up, not to retrieve some of us, but to bring people in who need healing, and uh, people lined up to get in, that still will happen. All it takes is one miracle, and that thing's done, and God's got that reserved. But, you know, this is not what I banked my decision to say yes, Lord, upon. But the way God's reaching the world is sure, show a whole lot different than I thought. I mean, it's just that way. God has his ways. And, and he, he works them. So Elijah's saying, what did I really accomplish? I haven't really done anything more than my fathers have done. You know, if this is the way it's going to be, you know, this wicked woman is still in charge. She's probably out recruiting for her next band of Baal and Ashtra. You know, what have I accomplished? Why don't you just take me out right now? Now, that sounds like a poor little me, but we all have that in us. There's a, there's a little book of those choruses on the back shelf within the secret place of our heart. And we all know that song. We like to sing it. That was Elijah, this mighty man of faith and power, and I'm not faulting him because I'm sure that I've said things quite similar to this. I'm not in any hurry to die, but I wonder, what have I really accomplished? If you view things in your own mind, even after great miracles, you can find yourself in that drawdown period very dis disturbed. It's true. You know, you think, well, that, that's just happening here. It's not, I don't ever see that on Elijah's list. Well, read the story of John Lake. Read the story of Jack Coe. 
Read William Branham. Read Gordon Lindsay. Read um, Catherine Kuhlman. Read Amy Semple McPherson. Read, you know, the list goes on. Look at their journals, and they're available to you. And see if what I'm telling you is not existent in every one of them. Read Jimmy Swaggart. Read, read things in their testimonies of how the great victories are only uh, uh, as, as um, able to be stabilized by the point in that quiet place when all the crowds have gone home, all the accolades are gone, and you think, where am I? I serve the Lord. He did great things. But when I view things, it's not all that I wanted to have happen. And here's a newsflash. We are not God's counselor. <laughs> There's a way that seems right to us, but if he gave it to us, the end would be destruction. I don't know what all Elijah thought, but you had the combination of the, the spiritual drawdown, which is a major tidal undertow. It is a real factor. Secondly, you had weariness. That, it, there's, there's a toll that it takes on your body and on your mind to, be, to come out of the anointing. I'm telling you that to be true. There have been times where I've, I've spoken five times in a day and just seen incredible things happen and leave that place just feeling on top of the world, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, you just feel like a mountain fell on you. How do you deal with that? And sadly, some of those journals speak that those precious folks turned to the counsel of Jack Daniels or other things. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what should happen. But I'm saying that those factors are there. And, um, and then you have the demonic attack. This woman, this virgin dedicated to Baal, which is what her name means, obviously all of those demons that inhabited those people that were killed were probably buzzing around her like flies in a hornet's nest. Or do flies go around a hornet's nest? It's all a buzz to me. And so, you know, what she said had power in the spirit realm, and that had a factor there. We're not afraid of that, but those influences, what will they attack? What will they attack? Weak places, areas of our thinking that are not right. And, and that hath God said, boom, boom, boom. What did Satan say to Jesus in the wilderness? Well, first of all, he said, you know what? You're really the son of God. Why are you out here toiling at this? If you really are this, command these stones to be made bread. Take care of this problem that you're facing right now. You're hungry. You've been out here 40 days, 40 nights. We have to trust that God has us where, we, where he wants us, and we got to know how to deal with this. So he's sitting under the juniper tree, you know, you can study about Juniper all you want. Maybe you knew a girl named Juniper. I don't know. But there's nothing really phenomenal about that tree. Um, it, was just, it was just a bloom stalk tree that gave him shade. And um, so he went to sleep, was resting, which is probably a good thing. He's out in the wilderness. Did you know there's a difference between the wilderness and the desert? And we heard in Sunday school today about God saying, you plant these particular trees in the wilderness and you plant these trees in the desert. The desert is just a really dry place. The wilderness is undeveloped. Jesus went into the wilderness. The Spirit drove him there because there were things that needed to be developed. Here's where Elijah was. There was a lot of development that needed to be happening. He's resting there, which is probably where he needed to be. Prophetically, if you're looking for a prophetic thing there, what Elijah was going to be responsible to do was develop a lot of things that were there that had yet to be developed. And if you're in the wilderness, you, uh, you need to, to say, okay, Lord, one of the ways that I'm going to triumph here is to see what's, what, is a, what is ahead of me that needs to be developed. What needs to be put in place? You come off a great miracle 
a great series of miracles and you find yourself in the wilderness. That's a great place because those, that great thing on the mountaintop is, is a momentum builder for you to develop what's in the wilderness. That's true. You can study about it. Study about wilderness and desert. You'll see it's a very different framework. Both of them are. And Elijah's here in the wilderness. So what happens? There's an angel. Must have been one of those French angels because he knows how to make bread on some stones. Imagine that angel. Here he is. He's making a little, some kind of a a Dutch oven on of stones there. You know, he's making it. He's baking a little cake there. Where do you get that meal from? Maybe from a widow woman across town. I don't know. But he wakes Elijah up. Wakey, wakey. Here, have this bread. Can you imagine that? How would you like it, Debbie, tomorrow morning for an angel to wake you up and say, here, I made you a croissant. Here you go. Have it. Maybe that'll happen. If it does, let me know. Um, so, an angel touches him. He touched me and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down again. <laughs> well, so I'm not going to talk about angelic ministry here, but just because an angel touches you doesn't mean it's going to get you out from under the juniper tree. It's still up to you. But that gracious angel, he, he comes a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that meat 40 days, 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now, this is Sinai. Um, this is the place where a lot of big things happen. Moses saw the burning bush there. The people encamped there. The elders saw God at the base of that place. Moses went up there twice. Second time came down with uh, commandments that he gave to the people. This is where the cleft of the rock was. From that base, there was a great war that was fought against the Amalekites. This was a storied place in the history of the people of God. And, you know, talk about 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus did that. Moses did that. Now here, Elijah does that. And if you study about this, you'll see a lot of people who will say, why did it take him 40 days to make that trip, you know? And they do all the math. They say, well, you know, a normal human can walk this amount of days. It should have taken him 12 days at the most. And then some other Weisenheimer comes in and says, yeah, but he was an older guy and he was fasting. So maybe it would have taken him 15 days. Why did it take him 40 days and 40 nights? Because he was on God's timetable. Why did he go to Horeb? Uh, obviously, there was something there that God told him, maybe through that angel that's not written. But, you know, there's a lot of that. We'll see that in a few minutes if we were to read this far, where he's standing at the mouth of the cave. He's got his head wrapped with his mantle, and God says, okay, I want you to go and anoint Haziel, king over Syria. I want you to go and anoint Elisha to stand as a prophet in your room. God does that kind of thing with him. So he ends up going to Horeb. He goes to this special place, which is a beginning point, and there he's meeting with God. It's very interesting. Now, we've read this many, many times before. It's good reading, but I want you to see uh, this. He, he came unto a cave. He lodged there. The word of the Lord came to him, and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And there you go again. He's really trapped in this thing about, you know, We've had these great miracles all these years. You know, I've been building up. You've been promising that the drought's going to break, the enemy's going to put through, and I don't think I've accomplished anything. I'm not any better than my father's. He says that two more times, which means to me that in the mouth of three witnesses, there was a, there was a big challenge in this drawdown period about what Elijah's assessment was of what really should have been happening and what God actually did. We get ourselves in trouble with that. 
That's where murmuring comes in, which will destroy you. We think, God, you should have done it this way. Or why didn't they do this? Why, we could have gone on and he could have just taken that bloody sword and went and just wiped them out. Why didn't he do that? And we think those things. And if we're not really careful, we'll come crossways with God. And we don't want to be there. So I, I want you to see this other thing that it, we've talked about many times. Verse 11. God said, go forth, stand on the mount before the Lord. Now, he's up there. This is where Moses, Moses had seen in the cleft of the rock, under the covering of the hand of God, God pass by. Seems we've read that before. Well, here, the Lord, Yahweh, passes by. And during that passing by, a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice and said, What are you doing here? What does all that mean? Why did the Lord pass by? And why did those Tim the Enchanter-like things happen with wind breaking rocks and earthquakes and fire? Why did that happen? Because that was the principle that Moses showed years before in the cleft of that rock. God passes by. And what, what did those things mean? God's wind decided to move. Things were broken up. Things that had been established rock-like in that demonic kingdom were splintered, and things were turned upside down then. It was, it was back in a position where God wanted to move, and then the fire of beginnings came. The fire of possibility for function came. Those things had already happened. But God wasn't in any of those things. Where was God? What God was doing was the journey, communing with his prophet, speaking to him. God was only beginning what he wanted to do. See, because here's the deal. <laughs> Even if you took out that corrupt king and his wife, Israel was still in a, in a peck of trouble. This is why Elijah was establishing those schools and somehow even forgot about those. I'm the only one standing. And God said there's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee, many of which were people that Elijah had been supervising in these clandestine schools. Sometimes you, you forget what you've already seen God doing. Sometimes the things that you've been partnering with God, you've seen him developing, you've seen him growing them. Sometimes your mind forgets about that and you don't recognize that this is the main thing you're doing, Elijah. I'm going to take out Ahab and Jezebel. I'm going to tear down the enemy. But the main thing you're supposed to be doing is establish people who will call unto me who will hear my voice and who will serve me in the midst of a demonic realm. That's your main agenda. And that became Elisha's main agenda. And, and as you can see, what we'll talk about at the seminar, that was Samuel's agenda. And um, that's really what God wanted from him. He was to be the one that showed the young ones how to seek God. Which is why Malachi says, the days of Elijah... When the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. That's our day. And that's our agenda. If we can say we've taught those that God brought to us how to seek him, how to know his word, how to go into the deeper things, how to interpret, how to understand the, the, what God's saying through this scripture and to know him and to serve him as an intercessor, that's our job as saints. <laughs> and that's working. In Ron's mind, should there be other things that are happening? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. 
But God didn't ask me. I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. How many of them had Elijah ministered to? How many of them had Elijah inspired? How many of them had Elijah um, taught about the ways of God? That was his agenda. Those were the ones that God, Moses on that mountain, would be to God that all of my people would know how to hear from me and be prophets. That's, that's what God wants. And so here you have this issue of <laughs> the, the wilderness was ahead. The, the development was ahead. God told Elijah what to do. And it wasn't like the, the chariot was coming and uh, the whirlwind was just outside. As soon as he got to the bottom of the hill, he was going to be caught, caught away. There were many, many years ahead where he was going to work with Elijah, Elisha. You can read that. There were many other things that Elijah was going to do. He wasn't going anywhere till God said it was time. But he, he went ahead of his time. And that's, that's a sad thing. So the point for us is we, we in this period of time after so many great high points that we've known and we've known one God has blessed us in this year just incredible things have happened and we've we've got to manage this moment where things seem to have settled a little bit and there ain't no settling like being in Texas in July I mean that, that's that's a settling um, I'm grateful every time they start prophesying about this high-pressure dome and the heat. God just brings rain like he did today. Just, it's just our God is so much bigger. He's just wonderful. And you've got to learn how to enjoy those moments because that's it. When you have him, what else do you want? When you, when you sense his presence just flooding you, is there anything better than that? When, when the angelic is around giving glory to the Lord and you're walking with them, baking cakes for you or whatever they're doing for you, rejoice. That's it. You're just here to serve him. Do what he says to do. Don't let your mind get in the way. Let your mind be restored. And, you know, God is... <laughs> God's doing a great work right now. I'm amazed. I'm, I'm amazed. This little Bethlehem here. How, how's God raising up thousands of people? And I, to, uh, forgive me, Saints Network. I'm speaking to my congregation right here, right now. You talk to your own congregation. I'm speaking to mine. How is God touching the world through us? How is that happening? I mean... How are there thousands of people that long for words coming out of this house? How does that happen? I'm glad he didn't ask me because my opinion would have taken us down the drain. But he's doing it anyway. And he's with us. You spend time over there on that wall communing with the Lord, serving him. Does that accomplish anything? You better believe it does because you're with God and he looks for an intercessor. He doesn't look for a five-star general with 15 swords hanging off your, your belt buckle. He looks for an intercessor, and he found you. Trust that God is doing that. Enjoy him. He's the fountain of every blessing. He's doing his work. Enjoy partnering with him. Do what he says to do. And learn that during this period, even though your mind is facing that period of drawdown, you're feeling that weariness where the Spirit has done great things, but your, your mind is... You see, we understand that in the natural. You, know, you go out and work in the yard or do stuff, and then the next morning you feel, man, you sore. What happened? What is this? And we go, well, I just haven't used those muscles before. Well, you realize that some of the things God is doing, you've never experienced before? Well, what kind of an effect might that have on you? Let God restore your soul. 
Let him anoint your head with oil. You need that. Oh, don't get too quick to gather up your weapon tree and move on to the next battle. Don't do it. That was a joke. I know it's weaponry. Um, you know, the, the point, though, is, is that we're in this moment, and, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. I, I recognized this a couple days ago, especially when I was studying about these schools and looking what Elijah did in comparison to what Samuel did and then what Elisha did. That's a very important thing for us to know right now. And it just dawned on me, Elijah was largely challenged at this moment because whatever it was that he had thought in his mind, I'm not faulting him, God was doing something, but it wasn't according to Elijah's checklist. And I don't know what that does to the faith movement. If you make enough declarations about what you think, then God has to do it. God's not interested in our opinion. He's interested in our obedience and in our partnership with him. And we learn things from him. But one of the greatest things we'll learn is this. And greater days than these are ahead. If we don't learn this lesson now, and we will learn this lesson, we will never survive after the next major breakthrough because the enemy will be all over us. Oh, we did this well, we saw God move in this way. Well, why is our government so screwed up still? Why are they doing this? Why are they coming after us in this way? I thought I took authority over that. Well, read Revelation. That stuff's going to happen no matter what you took authority over. We need to know how to hear from God, be moved from one place to another, to be warned by him, to be caught up as a great eagle moved over here. These are the things that Elijah lived. But the thing that he was challenged with was, I've not accomplished anything. I'm not any better than my father's. Calgon, take me away. Take me out of here. I'm not faulting him. I'm saying that we maybe have felt similar things. So recognize the moment. See where we are in the Lord. And commune with him. Um, I'm not saying this very well. But I, I do I declare, I do declare, I declare over all of you that um, we'll learn in this secret place in the Lord, and we'll cherish this moment, this moment of respite, this moment of, um, of just being refreshed in his presence. Jesus did that. Read back through the Gospels. It won't take you very long. Do you ever wonder why Jesus would have this amazing thing where he's in the middle of a city and everybody that's coming is being healed and demons are going out left and right and all these wonderful things happen? And you wonder in the natural, why didn't Jesus take advantage of that momentum? He was on a streak. He was on a roll. He could have just gone off from there. Instead, he says, let's get away from here. Let's go up into a secret place. What? <laughs> Man, you're batting a thousand. Get back in the batter's box. See if he can knock another dinger. No, let's get away. Why? I'm sure it's because of this principle. So we're in this moment. It's a good moment. Don't let the enemy confuse you. Press into the Lord tremendous things are immediately ahead, but we need this time of reflection. And it's at this point where that still small voice will give you insight as to what to do. Now, we don't read this here, and I'm finishing with this, but when Elijah came to Beersheba and he went out in the wilderness, somewhere there, God said, you need to fast and you need to come and meet me at Horeb. And that's what he did. And then, after all this, let's see, what did I say? Three times of, I'm no better than my father's, take me out of here. God shows him what had just happened, because the Lord had passed by, and all those things had already happened. But Elijah needed to wrap his mantle, remember what his true calling was, if he did or not, I don't know. 
Only he could answer that. But at that point, he needed to hear from God. And God did say, when you go from here, I want you to go through Damascus. I want you to anoint Haziel to, king of, to be king of Syria. And I want you to go and find Elisha and anoint him. Those were the next things he needed to do. God was very clear. This just amazing. We need to be hearing from God that way. Uh, we don't need to know, well, what are you going to do with Elijah once I anoint him? And Elijah wasn't too genteel with it, was he? Oh, you can follow me if you want to. You know, Do whatever you're going to do. My mantle's been on you. I'm going on. Catch up with me. You want to kiss your daddy goodbye? Go ahead, but I'm going. He didn't try to make it, you know, I've really got to find somebody to be my lieutenant to follow. I better be nice to him. No, he just goes on. Um... But God spoke to him. We need to hear God say those things. Did God answer all of his questions? No. He's not going to answer yours either because a lot of your questions, a lot of my questions are idiotic. <laughs> they just are. <laughs> just like sometimes you're riding and, you know, when my kids were little, I won't say they still do this, but uh, when uh, the twins are in the car with me, some of the things they talk about is just, I just love hearing them, but it's just nonsense. <laughs> I don't even give an answer. I just keep going. And some of our questions are so off track. Well, we really believe them. We want to know. We'll understand it better by and by. One of the ways we'll understand better and by and by is you're grateful that God didn't answer some of the nonsensical things you really wanted to know. They had no bearing on anything. And, um, but we're in this moment. You're in this moment. Just enjoy the Lord. Let him refresh you. Let him speak to you. And let's be ready to obey those small things because when we do that, God will already be there. And he's going to do stuff we've not dreamed or imagined. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of any person the glorious things that God has reserved for those who love him. All things will work together for good to those who love God or called according to his purpose. We just need to love God and follow. And, um, but it's that point, especially after, maybe right before a miracle and right after. <laughs> wow. There are a lot of illustrations of this. I said I was ending, but I'll throw one more out there. Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah and Moses show up there. I wonder what they had to say. But at the same time, those big three are up there on the mountain with him. They wake up, and they want to build tabernacles for Moses and Elijah. You talk about a drawdown nonsense. Jesus, can you imagine the look on Jesus' face? It was glowing. But when they said that, ay, 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 caramba. That's not a Hebrew word, but I'm sure he was thinking it. Um, he gets down to the base of the hill, and there's uh, the other nine great men of faith and power who are just flummoxed. You got a little boy wallowing on the ground, a dad with crocodile tears pouring down, and all the crowd looking around. You, Jesus probably, you think Jesus thought, just hang on, I need to go back up to the top of the hill. I'm going to ask Moses and Elijah what to do about this. I mean, it's just frustrating, but we need to recognize that that moment after a great breakthrough, you just need to be with the Lord and let him move. Father, I thank you for putting up with me today as I've roamed through this passage. And I, I pray that whatever anointing you have brought for this, for our people, that it would be disseminated to each of us right now and that every one of us would find ourselves positioning for what is coming next, that we would rest in you, that we would listen to you, that we would be strengthened and restored by you, and that we would be positioned to hear your still small voice for the going forward, for great things are ahead, and we need to be positioned for them in service to you right now. I bless your people, and Father, for those in this house as we go for a time of celebration right now. Bless this time. And for all of you who are joining with us, we speak blessing over you, your house, uh, whatever it is that you're doing 
on the front lines of your terio, we speak blessing over you now, and we thank the Lord for you and for what he's doing through you and in you. And we, we send that now in Jesus' name. And uh, thank you for all your goodness to us, Father. We love you. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, thank you for joining us. And for those of you here, you get free lunch. It's there in the youth room. Happy birthday, Kelly. Happy birthday, Nanny. And let's go.